Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and happy December 2017, you guys. Yesterday kicked off the beginning of the last day of uh, 2017, and I hope you are wrapping up the year in an awesomely good way and hitting your goals and finishing strong. I want to uh, start today's show with a quote by Brian Tracy, and the quote is, Make your life a masterpiece. Imagine no limitations on what you can be, have, or do. So, again, as we wrap up another year, make your life a masterpiece. Take off the limitations on what you think you can be, have, or do so you can finish strong this year. And, yes, 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 in case you are, whether you're one of our loyal listeners who's been with us now, we we are finishing up our 13th year going into year 14 here at Off the Shelf. Or whether you're just coming by for the first time to Off the Shelf, you are listening to the Winning Book Radio Show, Off the Shelf Book Talk Radio. And we have an awesome guest lined up for you today. But before we introduce our guest, I wanted to ask you just how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Can you figure out what's going to happen in a book? Do you you have a habit of doing this? You can figure it out. You can pay attention to the specifics, figure out what's going to happen in a book, figure out who did it, or the same for a movie. I just recently saw Murder on the Orient Express, and I kept trying to figure out. That's one of the reasons I went. It's a, based on an Agatha Christie novel from 1934. I wanted to try to figure out who did it before the movie revealed it. And I think I was able to, but I kept second-guessing myself. But if you like to do that, you want to know who done it before the author reveals it, I think you'll love Love for Over Me. But even more than that, because there's a murder mystery tucked into the story, and it is hard to guess who did it. But even more than that, do you value relationships, and not just romantic relationships between a man and and a woman, but All of our relationships impact us, so relationships between friends, because the the main character, Raymond Clark, he's a track star, he's academically, he's just a very gifted, talented guy, and it opens, he's in high school getting ready to go to college, and he meets a group of friends in college and a woman who changed his life, but can Raymond get beyond his past with his father? And his father has untreated alcoholism. And how much will that impact him in his relationship with Brenda, who is his soulmate? If you value relationships and you love mystery, I really encourage you. There's some cliffhanging scenes. There's some scenes that will take you back to times that might stir up some really good memories and emotions for you. I encourage you to get a copy of Love Pull Over Me now in print or ebook. If you get an ebook at Amazon, you can get it for just three dollars, and it's three hundred, over three hundred pages. So, love for over me. If you don't see it on the bookstore shelves, just go up to the clerk and tell them you want to get a copy of Love for Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can order you a copy. So, I hope you'll go out and gift yourself with that today. And now, let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special guest this morning is Laura. Mitchell. Now, Laura is the author of the book Diary of a Young Black Girl. She's also a blogger, and she makes her home in Miami, Florida. And Laura has been writing since she was 
a young child. You can find Laura Mitchell online at, and I'm going to have to spell this, D-O-A-Y-B-G dot W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash D-Y-B-G. So I'll go say that again, D-O-A-Y-B-G dot W-I-X-S-I-T dot com forward slash D-Y-B-G. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Off the Shelf, Laura. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing awesome on this gorgeous, gorgeous Saturday morning. You know, you can't go wrong with a Saturday Saturday morning kicking off, off the weekend. It is such a pleasure to have you here with us. And as I was telling you before we went live, I, I do this with every single guest just to give our listeners some backstory on our guests. So the first four to five questions, I ask every guest these same questions. So before we go into talking about your books and how you guys started writing, et cetera, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up? I know you live in Florida now, but where you grew up, Laura, and what life was like for you growing up? Well, actually, I grew up here. Um, I grew up in, it's called Miami Gardens, Florida now. Um, but the running joke for those of us who grew up here is when we were growing up, it was called Carroll City. Um, Carroll City, Florida. Um, beautiful place to grow up all year round. Summer, um, the issues that come with Miami were definitely things that um, I saw growing up, but the beauty that comes with Miami were things that I remember as well. Um, I grew up in a family of my parents and my sister um, and grew up in the Miami-Dade County Public School System, enjoyed great friends and um, great teachers and a really great life, I must say. Um, No complaints, no complaints at all. So are you an only child? Are there other siblings? or? No, I have one other sister. Um, I'm the oldest of two, and we're about two years apart, um, but it's just two of us. Okay, okay. And and I've, I, I actually, in my writing, freelance writing, interviewed someone, I don't know if it was a mayor or one of the uh, uh, local leaders in that area for it was Madam Noor, so the area sounds familiar to me. When you were a child, I know you said you've been writing since you were a young child, but what did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? So that is a very interesting question. Um, I did start writing young. I started writing at about the age of six. Um, Basically, once I started learning how to write, I started writing stories. Um. And what I wanted to be when I grow up, so to speak, is involved. And when I was much younger, I wanted to be an ice skater. And then um, when I started probably out of elementary school, middle school, I decided I wanted to be an attorney. Um, and yet, even with those um, career aspirations, in the back of my head, I always knew, a part of me always knew I was a writer. Um it just seemed that words came naturally to me and stories came naturally to me. I love the art of um, telling a story, whether it was a true story or a fictional story. I love the art of telling a story. And so um, while I've had different career goals throughout childhood and even into adulthood, um, 
in the background has always been this thought that I was going to be a writer someday. Ah. So, and you know what? It's 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 interesting that you took action on that on that um, that thought. But so that was in the background. And I was going to ask you how old were you when you absolutely knew you wanted to be a writer? You wanted to be a lawyer. You thought about being a teacher. Was that 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 thought that oh I know I want to be a writer? Was that was that something like you know how they say listen to your instincts or your intuition? Was it that still small voice? And did you try to uh, bury that voice or get rid of it? Because did you say to yourself, writers, I, I can never make enough money doing this. I'll have to do something else. Um, I do believe it was a still small voice, especially because of how early it started. Um, and mm. said, it, it's really been there literally since um, I first started writing. Uh, there's going to be a poem in my um, upcoming book for next year. I'm writing a children's version of Diary. And one of the poems that's going to be in that book talks about um, how I was so happy when I turned six because I learned how to write, and the words that were in my head, I finally was able to put on paper. I finally had a vehicle for getting these words out of my head. And it was that early that something within me was always saying, you're a writer, you're a writer. Um, That being said, uh, part of the reason that I sought out other career goals is similar to what you said is even though I knew in the back of my head I would be a writer, um, I wasn't sure if it was something that I could make money at or if it would actually be a career. Um, I, I kind of wrestled with, okay, well, maybe this is just going to be a lifelong hobby. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I knew something in me told me definitely it would be an integral part of my life. Um as time progressed, um, it turned out that law school wasn't necessarily for me, or at least at the time, um, wasn't for me. But this writing bug kept eating away, um, as well as the experience, the experiences I was dealing with in life. My background is in education, which is funny that you picked up on that. Um, and I would see my students, and I would see these families, and I would see um, even just the personal experiences I was dealing with, with interacting with the education system and interacting with different people, and part of my way of expressing what was going on and making sense of the world around me was to write. I've kept a journal for many years, and I would write poems, I would write journal entries, sometimes I would write short stories. it's been my form of therapy and my form of um, making sense of the world around me. So definitely that still small voice was there, uh, but wrestling with how to make mm-hmm. that a reality in my life or what form that would take, that was also something I dealt with as a person and definitely as an adult as, you know, the world tells you what you can and can't make money at. Yeah, you know, and then not just so much even the world, but uh, are people going to go out and buy and support your product? Even if you're in business, are enough people going to do it? Certainly, I think anybody can sell like a dozen books. I think anybody could do that. But to mm-hmm. to, to sell enough to every year make 
forty, fifty thousand or more from your from your gift, that's where sometimes you're like, okay, I did it once, but can I keep doing it? That's where it can get a little dicey. But then you, doesn't mean you abandon some some writers who are New York Times bestselling writers have full time jobs, but they still True. keep keep writing and they they subsidize uh, their the the writing might in their mind be like their prominent job, but it's not where they make the bulk of their income. But they still do pursue pursue their passion. And I encourage any off the shelf listener who has a talent or a passion not to abandon it just because you might not make enough money. It could be years before it something takes off, or maybe it never does. But it doesn't mean that your writing doesn't impact you and other people around you. Now, is poetry lore? Because I, I tried my hand at different forms of writing before I landed on novel writing. I also do freelance writing. But I, poetry was one, and people had told me this. When I was younger and I started writing, I, I always thought the shorter pieces were the easiest because you didn't have to just keep writing and writing and writing. True. But I've since found, I think it's the opposite. And I've heard other writers say that the shorter the work, a short story a really effective, powerful short story, writers say, is a lot harder to write than a full-length novel. And then a poem is uh, difficult. And i got to tell you, Alice Walker wrote a poem. I was in a, a writer's conference. She wrote a poem, eight words, eight words. And I'm telling you, that's <laughs> powerful. I said, oh, eight words, what talent. <laughs> what she did with, the, with eight words, not eight lines, eight right. words. I said, Oh my God! So is poetry, Laura? Is that your preferred? You you said you kept a journal with you, you know, to try to understand the world, and it's like a therapeutic for you writing in your journal. But is poetry your preferred form of artistic written communication? And why do you say why? Why is this so? So that's a good question. Um, I have found in most of my adult life it is. Um, poetry is hard. It is easier for me for some reason, but it is also something that when I'm writing it, it usually takes a great deal of emotional weight more than written weight for me. Um, Most writers um, will tell you, like you said, that poetry is very difficult um, as a form mainly because you're trying to get your point across within this short format. You're trying to both concisely but also speak artistically um, in a way that paints a picture in the mind of the reader. And combining all of that in a short form, it can be difficult. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. But... um, for me, one of the things that I find is a lot of my poetry, the hardest part really isn't the writing for me. It's actually the emotional weight that comes behind it. A lot of my poems, ah. yeah, a lot of my poems, if you read them, they're either based on experiences I went through or they're based on experiences that I've seen. Um, and those experiences cost. They cost in emotional weight. They cost in broken hearts or in gleeful hearts. Um, They cost in life experience. They cost in um, lessons learned, 
sometimes the hard way or sometimes from the tragedy of other people's lives. Um, And so that tends to be the hardest part of poetry for me is that many of the poems that I write because of the emotional weight that comes behind it, um, they cost in that more than in the actual writing. Uh, It actually Ah. tends to be my preferred form of writing. Novel writing is a little bit harder for me, though it is – it is a format that I've explored in the past and definitely plan to explore in the future. Um, but because of the long form and because of the time it takes to dedicate to it, sometimes it's a little bit harder for me to sit down and write novels. Poetry, because it's a shorter time period, the writing part is easier for me to do, but what went into it is a little bit more difficult. Um, uh, okay. And I was going to say, when you mentioned Alice Walker doing the eight-word poems, one of my favorite things actually to do is to take on those challenges. Like I'm a a member of a few poetry groups on Facebook, and that's one of the things that they'll do is they'll put out a challenge every once in a while, Uh, write a poem about a picture or write a poem within ten words. There's actually one group I'm in that I love. It's actually a one-word poem challenge. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, you have to use an expressive word that when the person reads it, they can imagine what went behind that one word, and it's a longer poem. Um, It's one of my favorite challenges to take. I usually will submit something every couple of months to it just to challenge myself. And once again, even with the one-word challenge, the hardest part is the emotion that usually comes behind whatever word. That I choose. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, so I was going to ask you for our off-the-shelf listeners who love to read poetry and who doesn't. I mean, poetry to me is like the cousin of of song. Uh, and yeah. it, you, you've got the you've got your story. You got the it, it, you can do so much with it. We know what our spoken word, word poetry is so close again to song, and it's so emotionally impactful. And you can tell a marvelous story in just a few few words. So that's yeah. it. What process you said you it for you it's you it's the emotional part that that is that is the most challenging when you're creating poetry, but is there a specific process that you use, Laura, to create process and to ensure that your poems are are packed with em, enough emotion to keep readers turning the pages? Um, one of the things I do is I am a big believer, it's funny you mentioned music, I'm a big believer that one of the things that makes poetry poetry is rhythm, not necessarily rhyme, Um, it doesn't have to rhyme in order to be a poem, as a matter of fact, many of my poems don't rhyme, but the rhythm of it, there's usually somewhere either throughout the whole poem or at least a section of the poem where it's an unheard beat to the words that are being used. Um. And so when I'm writing poetry, usually I'm pretty good at reversing it, but somewhere in the poem I'm listening for the rhythm and I'm looking for the words that will create that so that especially when I'm performing those pieces, because I do spoken word as well, especially when I'm performing those pieces, that that cadence or that rhythm is picked up in the way I'm performing it. But I also want it on the written page so that when the reader is reading it, they can hopefully pick up on that rhythm as well. That's that's one of my goals when I write um, my poems, is that 
in addition to the emotion behind it, in addition to the hopefully visual picture that it creates in your mind as you're reading it, that you're also able to pick up on the rhythm of the poem and how the places where that rhythm is is um, is portraying a, a distinct, important part of that piece, a certain cadence or a certain... Um, a certain importance that you're supposed to weight, that's the word I'm looking for, a certain weight that you're supposed to give to that particular part of the poem because it's it's an important piece to understanding the entire work. Okay. And so, now is, is this, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I wanted to, to, to and I, I thank you for sharing that, the, the, you're looking for that rhythm that rhythm, it doesn't have to rhyme. I know when we were young in school, writing poetry, uh, looking for it to always rhyme, looking for that word that rhymes with it. And then, and then rap does that a lot of times, looking what rhymes with what. They're not going to tell the story and make everything rhyme. But then for you, it's like you're looking for that rhythm. Now, to talk mm-hmm. about your book, Diary of a Young Black Girl, is this is this your first book, Laura? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, Can you tell first us what published work? Oh, congratulations! Oh. First of all, congratulations. Thank and you. And can you tell us what? Can you tell us what it was like? You you've walked around with a journal since you were a kid. You've been writing since you were young. You were so happy when you learned how to write when you were six years old because you wanted to write. But can you tell us what it was like writing poems that you knew could be potentially read by hundreds or thousands or more people? What was that like writing from that perspective? So the funny part is when I was writing the majority of the poems in diary, I didn't know that was the case. Um, Ah. Most of the poems I wrote in diary I actually wrote during um, my early to mid-20s. And as I was saying uh, earlier, at that time, I was an educator. I was a tutor and a mentor um, and even a youth minister during most of my 20s. And so mostly I was writing almost as a form of therapy, uh, making sense, going back to that, making sense of the world around me. And at the time when I was writing them, I didn't know they were going to be a book. Um, knowing how much I overthink things, more than likely if I would have known they were going to be a book, <laughs> Oh, I may not have written some of them, but um, I didn't know they were going to be a book. I was writing for my personal fantasy's sake and writing to um, to get this gift out. When um, 2015 came, I decided I was going to take the plunge and finally listen to that voice that had been in the back of my head and publish a book. And when I was trying to decide, okay, so what am I going to publish, um, publishing the book of poems made sense to me. And as I started going through a lot of my poems and putting the collection together, I found these various poems that seemed to work as a collection. Um, One of the places I get the name from for the book is this Actually, one of the ways I describe myself as a young black church girl from Miami who loves God and who loves people. And so when I was looking for a title for the book, I was like, I want something of that to resonate in the title. And so since most of the poems have been written in my journal over the years, I decided to call it Diary. 
and then the young black girl comes from that description. But I didn't know at the time that I was writing poems for a book. Now, of course, going forward, I do know that. Um, But I find that um, after having published the book, um, I I no longer censor myself even in writing towards that goal. Um, I know that that's part of the process. And so um, as I write, I just write. And once it comes time to decide what to publish, I try and find the poems that best fit together, but I try and put just as much um, emotional honesty and um, skill into writing poems, knowing that they'll be published as I did into this one. Okay, so so, so now, when you knew, let me ask you this, when you knew that Diary of a Young Black Girl, you first suggest poems you were writing, but when you said, hey, I'm going to publish this, did you go back and change any of the poems to, to to maybe say, how can I make this more appealing to a larger audience rather than writing for yourself? Has has that now become a challenge or a tightrope? You've got a balance where you're no longer just writing these authentic poems for yourself, but maybe also to appeal to a larger audience. Um. I don't necessarily change the writing for that. What I do going forward is um, I make sure that the collection is more so made for that. And so um, one of the things, for instance, with Diary is the, the book is split up into eight different chapters. The poems, as I said, I didn't write them purposely with that in mind, but as I was putting the collection together, I found that certain poems seemed to have a theme to them. And so I set it up that way so that the reader can have each section make a little bit more sense. It's not just random poems and it's not just poems that came off the cuff, but they're poems that um, seem to have a theme to what they're talking about, the topics they're dealing with, um, and the intended message behind them. The other thing um, that I wanted to make sure of when putting together the diary and will continue to do going forward is um, I don't necessarily write it for mass appeal, but I do keep in mind that I want, there's a certain message I want to hit to the heart of the reader. Um, and there's usually a certain reader in mind that I have when I'm putting the collection together. And so, um, I knew with Diary, especially because of the name, a lot of the people who would likely be reading my books would be young girls or young women. Well, what are certain topics that are important to those people? Do I have poems that deal with those topics and that um, will help to either influence them or to at least provide a different perspective or to provide a similar perspective to the one that they have about this particular topic. Um, And so even as I'm writing now, it's not so much that I change how I write. It's still writing from the heart. It's still writing from experience. It's still writing from making sense of the world around me. But by the same token, once I'm in the packaging form, um, side of putting the book together once I'm in the side of 
deciding which poems go in and how to section them off, then I begin thinking, okay, who's my reader? How will this make sense to my reader at that point? Ah, okay. And you know what? That's good to know. So it's really not it's not impacting your writing. That's a that's a hard thing to do even as a novelist. And I read a mm-hmm. quote recently where a novelist said, you know, you you are killing your 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 the story if you start writing for the reader during the marketing sure. stage, like you said, the way you put it together, that's when you consider the reader. So Diary of a Young Black Girl for off the shelf listeners who are just being introduced to Diary of a Young Black Girl a compilation of poetry is broken into eight eight sections. Can you tell us about some of the subjects that you cover in the book? Um, sure. Um, a couple of the sections deal with childhood. Um, I know some of them are poems about my childhood. Others are about children um, in general that, in part comes from having worked with young people for so many years. Um, This is actually my 20th year of working with teenagers through tutoring and or mentoring. Um, I definitely have some pieces about social justice issues, things around race, things around politics, but also just things that um, injustices that that I would love to see addressed or... um, be made right in the world. I have poems dealing with faith. Um, personally, I'm a Christian, and so that does show up in some of my writings because that's part of the um, faith of my heart. I have poems dealing with life and death. Uh, another thing that tended to happen when I was writing a lot of the poems is I experienced quite a few deaths um, mm. in my life. Um, some who I were really some people who I was really close to, others who I watched go through the grieving process. Um, I especially saw a few of my students go through grieving parents or go through grieving friends um, that they had lost. Suddenly I lost a couple of people in my life um, on the journey who were really important to me. And even just before Diary was published, after the collection was closed, um, literally my grandmother passed away just before um, I released the book. And so one of the things that definitely impacted my writing was this wrestling with um, the meaning of life and the um, heartbreak of death, and therefore that came out in some of my poems. And then I have a section that I call Honesty, and that was one of the sections that definitely took on the most emotional weight. Uh, because it deals with some of those topics that uh, we don't always talk about in polite company, Um, betrayal, um, dealing with loneliness, dealing with um, disappointment in our heroes or in our institutions and things of that nature. Uh, Many of these things are dealt with in the art form of poetry in the book. So. And then the last section is actually a tribute to my parents. I wrote a dedication poem to each of them. Oh, okay. So you cover a lot of different uh, different topics, and you and so you started in your early twenties uh, writing this. What have the what have people, particularly like the youth that you mentor and work with as an educator and as a mentor, what have they? What kind of feedback have they given you about Diary of a Young Black Girl? 
Um, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from young people is, you know, I don't even read poetry, but I actually read your book. Um, wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I've gotten from some young women, like, this really hit home with many of the experiences mm. I've dealt with or many of my friends have dealt with. Um, many people within the faith community, especially those who've heard some of the poems in there that I deal with with my personal faith, they love how um, how deep it goes, or how personal, I should say, it goes as far as dealing with personal faith and dealing with worship from that perspective of the personal walk with God. Um, and definitely the social justice pieces, I've gotten much feedback um, saying you really need to perform these more. These are things that people need to hear. These are things that people really need to wrestle with, especially in the environment that we're dealing with around race and politics in this day and age. And so I've gotten a lot yes. of great feedback um, on many of the poems. I've gotten a lot of great feedback on the collection overall. As I said, definitely from young people who were um, some of my target audience, but even from older people. I've had a lot of parents buy the book for their young people and read it themselves okay. and enjoy it. Um, it's been a it's been a blessing to see people give um, give feedback on how it has impacted their lives and how the poems have impacted their lives. Okay, before we before we close today's show, I wanted to ask you. Um, if you could read one of your poems from Diary of a Young Black Girl, if you don't have it, that's fine. But I'm gonna ask you a few more questions. If you can, uh, just just let me know um, on that one, just to treat our listeners too. If not, then that's fine as well. But my next question to you is: Who are some of the poets whose work you admired when you were growing up, and how much did these poets impact your writing and continue to impact? your poetry writing today? Um, definitely there were some poets, but I'm going to mention writers overall because one of the things that has definitely been a part of my life is just the impact of reading, period. Um, poets specifically, I would definitely say uh, Sylvia Plath. Um, ah. I use a lot of his work. Um Zora Neale Hurston didn't write as much poetry, but a lot of her work I love. Tony Morrison as well. Um, Alice Walker definitely was impacted by her influence on the culture. Um, I love Jane Austen. Edgar Allan Poe is uh, what I call my dark place, but I love his writing. Um, I've been impacted pretty much uh, by a great deal of writers across different genres. Uh, but definitely, if you're speaking specifically of poetry, uh, definitely a Sylvia Plath, like the Q, um, and um, I would even argue most of his were short stories, but even some of the poetry of Edgar Allan Poe as well. Their styles, their um, the rhythm, the impact that they made on different culture. Um, Sylvia Plath specifically wrote about what it was like to be a housewife in the 50s who was dealing with addiction and who was dealing with her childhood experiences. Leslie Hughes wrote from the perspective of being a black person in America, um, especially during the 19-teens and 1920s. What does that mean? 
what does that look like? What are our hopes? What are our dreams? Um, Edgar Allan Poe loved to deal with the dark side and horror and yes. um, how honesty and truth hide just below the surface of symbols and placid smiles. And so uh, poetry-wise, each of them influenced me in different ways and ways that I write poetry and how I view poetry. But I've definitely been impacted by writers from various genres um, across different timelines. Okay. And I can hear you. you are impacted by... You you started out talking about the the most challenging thing was the emotion and the writers who you admire they really know how to 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 to, to take on uh, challenging topics and they deal with emotion and they deal with some things Edgar Allan Poe you know he was like that the almost that depressive type writer but he had, he had an impact on Sylvia Plath on so many people who are who were going through similar things but just didn't want to talk about it so. Exactly. When I was hearing you, when I was hearing you say those names, I'm like, oh my god! It, 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 you know, I, a very deep writer, and then you know, from being a young person, uh, feeling guided to write, it all makes sense when you talk about the writers who who you admire. For our listeners who want to, they want to be in your footsteps. They want to be able to publish a book of poetry and so certainly anybody could do that but they want it to have impact like you getting the type of feedback from your poems can you tell us Laura, about what are, what are uh, three important elements not just of a basic poem you talked about rhythm for you but what are three very key elements that a good poem has to have number one your poem has to evoke emotion. Now, to be fair, it may not evoke the emotion you expected it to evoke in your different readers, but it needs to evoke emotion. Um, if a person can read your poem and not feel anything, even if it's ang- even if it's anger, if they can't feel anything, it has not done its job. It has to evoke emotion, number one. Um Number two, I like to write poems, and most poets who I know of love to write poems that also evoke vision in the mind of the reader. You want them to see what you're writing about. You want, if you're talking about, let's say you were writing a poem about a piece of um, a piece of chicken, you want that person to see the chicken in their head. You want them to smell what it's seasoned with. You want them to uh, be able to taste it on their tongue just from the words. So you want to create an experience. You want to create a vision. And then number three, um, you want to make sure that it doesn't hit the person over the head either. Uh, It's poetry. Mm. You can play with words. What, What do you mean by that? When you say that, so, when don't. so the, one of the difference between um, a sentence and a poetic sentence is the ability to use creative words and sometimes abstract words to still create the picture. I could say, I see the dog spot. Or I could say, spot fur 
made me think of oceans made of polka dots. And um and bakeries with bread that was just way too stale. You know. Um, and that's just me thinking it off the top of my head. In other words, I can describe plot in a way where it's just I see plot. That's just writing a sentence. Or in poetry, I can describe him in a way where you visualize spot, where you smell spot, where you hear spot. And so I'm using, I'm purposely using abstract words that can mean different things to different people, but at the same time can still um, paint a picture for those different people. So you don't want to write. Um, when you're writing poetry, you don't want to write it in such a way where it hits the person over the head what you're saying. You want it to be something that can be interpreted in different ways and that at the same time can still um, create a clear picture. And that uh, sometimes is where the difficulty of poetry comes because you're doing both at the same time. Um, okay. But it's also where if you really are into writing poetry, where you can play with words in a way, that it becomes fun to do that. Okay. I have to ask you, you you, you are, are a conscious writer. There were so many conscious writers during the Harlem Renaissance. That's still a time that you people look back on in African-American literature and say, wow, that was like the golden era. So, so compared mm-hmm. to today, today a lot of it is uh, uh, rhyme and uh, trend and money. So, what what mm-hmm. what to get you the most visibility or the most money, the most shares, the most views? The the that drives a lot. Even it's kind of odd that that creativity what drives us today is different. Why do you think? That there were so many more conscious writers. It appears, it appears anyway, during the Harlem Renaissance compared to today, because there's still certainly a lot of pertinent issues to address. Well, I would. I'm going to answer that in two parts. Uh, um, as far as um, why, why I feel that views and um, rhyme and videos and trends um, influence things today is because of the day and age we live in. Social media, um, the rise and success of hip-hop and the rise and success of, um, of fame as ways to make money, as ways to build a career, um, has influenced the creative spaces because all of us want to eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, all of us want to eat. And it has opened up a door for artists and, unfortunately, for some non-artists who want to be artists. Um, but it's opened up a door for artists that just was not available at one time. Um, and... So you see people utilizing these tools because they want to hopefully be able to build a career on their art. Uh, That being said, I would not make the argument that conscious writing is is not as um, 
available in this day and age as it was during the Harlem Renaissance. I follow many different writers and many different people on social media. I'm, to a certain degree, a social media junkie, especially on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I see a lot of writing that's conscious writing, um, both journalism but also even in creative writing. Um, there are quite a few poets and quite a few uh, writers coming up who they're demanding of the industry and providing material for the industry in which they are creating diverse voices, uh, in which they are talking about things like Black Lives Matter and human rights and um, politics and, um, you know, women's rights and things of that nature. I see a great deal of that um, coming out on Twitter and coming out on Facebook especially. Um, Many of those writers have a more difficult time getting as many views as some of the other writers. And mm. others are able to package it in such a way in which they are able to get views, but they have to use clickbait in order to get you into it before you can get the message that they're talking about. Ah. Um, and so I wouldn't argue that we don't have them. They're not always as popular as they should be, and I'm hoping that that's changing. But um, but no, I've, I've definitely seen some really interesting writers and some really interesting um, some videos of some spoken word artists that I'm looking and I'm like, yeah, I got to bring my game up. <laughs> uh, okay. Even for me personally, um, and they definitely deal with some topics that um, are conscious topics. Some are even dealing with topics that. Um, in previous centuries, we didn't deal with. I, I know there's a girl whose video I've seen go around in the last couple of weeks. She talks about dealing with anxiety, for instance, which is, of course, dealing with the mm. topic of mental health. Not something we normally think of as conscious, but definitely right. a topic we need to be talking about and, you know, uh, breaking down the stigma of. Um, I've seen some, uh, one guy, he wrote a piece on, wanting to see a movie in which a little black boy gets to play with his toy and nothing dangerous happens to the black boy. On the surface, when you're listening, it may or may not seem like it's conscious, but it is. In a world in which we're seeing our children scared because they're worried about whether or not they're going to get gunned down either in their neighborhood or even by police officers, the idea of a story in which the child is the hero for just being a child, that's that's about as political and as conscious as you can get in this day and age. So I'm definitely seeing some um, some writers that are putting those messages out there and are even coming up with new ways and new messages that are shaped by the times we live in versus the times that you had in Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston writing in. Okay, okay. Now, when and why, uh, Laura, did you launch the Digital Mentoring Empowerment Academy? When did you when did you uh, build this academy, and what inspired you to create it? Well, I'm still in the process of building it. Um, I'm actually still in the process of um, working on how to formulate it in a way that it really will impact the young women that are. Um, 
it's geared towards. And the idea behind it came from, one, my love of working with young people, but two, uh, my desire to see intergenerational conversations happen. Um, Mm. I grew up with um, my parents who were a little bit older than most of my friends' parents, but also who okay. love both of them love being around people who were older than them. And so uh, both in my church that I grew up in, but also just in my regular life, I saw my parents interacting with people who sometimes were 20 years older than them. Some of my aunts and uncles okay. are uh, much older. And um, as I stated earlier, my grandmother passed away last year, and I actually got a chance to be impacted in my life by my grandparents and even my great-grandmother. And mm-hmm. the innumerable um, amount of lessons and the great wisdom that I gained from being around adults during my childhood and my 20s um, made an impact on how I approached life. And so with the Digital Academy, one of the goals of it is to give girls a space to talk to each other, but also to provide opportunities for them to talk to women, um, especially who are older than them, and to gain lessons from them, to gain wisdom from them. Um, One of the unfortunate parts about the way we communicate with each other a lot of times nowadays is that because we're able to pick who we communicate with, we don't always get a chance to talk to people across generations. Um, I know many older people who the majority of the people who they talk to are their age. They don't really communicate much with young people. And so um, it's harder for them to get insight into things that are trending and things that are going on in this day and age. I know a lot of young people in the alternative who most of the people who they talk to are young people and they don't really get a chance to gain wisdom from older people. So one of the goals behind the Digital Academy is to provide this space for young women to um, to grow, to learn, to develop, but also for them to gain insight and wisdom from older women and vice versa for um, many adult women who are willing to participate and willing to be mentored as part of the academy to gain knowledge and gain just um, a great mentoring relationship with these young women as well. Okay. And, you, you know, in business, in life, somebody who's already been there, done that, when you go through something and you – it might feel very challenging and hard, and you hear somebody else say that you've seen come through it and you look up to them, and they tell you, you know, it was just as hard for me. And that mm-hmm. you see they got through it, and that can encourage you that you can get through it or they can share some tips and advice with you that can give you some more options uh, so things don't look so closed up for you. I had to ask you um, uh, two two questions. Do you Do you have plans to incorporate your spoken word poetry with your written written poetry and, and getting out on the road and sharing your work that way? Good question. Um, locally, I um, currently do it. I'm actually a part of a spoken word group called Word Poets. Um, we do a monthly interactive spoken word um, event 
call Evoke 180, or the name of the program is called First Impressions, but it's under our organization called Evoke 180. And it's a Christian spoken word group. And one of the things that I definitely do there is I perform pieces. Um, but we also have a writer's workshop each month in which we write as well, and we invite the community to come in. It's a free writing workshop in which we invite them to come in and um, learn just different ways of writing, um, get the opportunity to listen to other people's pieces, to freelance. Um, so that's something I do locally. It is my eventual goal to do um, do more touring. Um, the biggest aspect that plays into that is finance and time. Um, I'm a graduate student as well as um, as well as a writer, and actually have expanded my writing into my own business. Um, called Lady L Publishing, and so um, working out the schedule so that I can actually do more speaking engagements has been difficult this year, but it is my plan for next year to incorporate that more into my um, my work life. And, um, and definitely the written word is definitely something I plan to expand more into as well. The book itself is online, but it's also in a couple of bookstores, um, one is in Charlotte, it's called Park Road's Book, and then it's also in Tallahassee at a bookstore called My Favorite Books. And so as I write more books, my plan is to expand um, not just the books that I write, but where those books are available. Uh, okay. And hopefully be able to set up a tour so that I'm not just sending out books, but actually able to perform those pieces in front of audiences in those locations as well. Now, we only have a few more minutes left, and I definitely wanted to ask you a few other questions. I had a whole lot more questions <laughs> I wanted to ask you, but don't have time to get to them. Now, at your blog, you share that you attended the National Book Club Conference in Atlanta in 2016. I wanted to ask you if you attended the conference this year or even from 2016, if you can let our listeners, especially those who might be interested in attending in the future, what was it, what was the experience of attending the National Book Club Conference in Atlanta like? I didn't get a chance to go this year, but it was an awesome experience. Um, one of the things that um, that experience taught me was when you're ready, put yourself out there. Ah. Um, and I learned that lesson because I wanted, originally I wanted Diary to be out in January of 2016. That didn't quite happen. And... <laughs> I had already signed up for the conference when it was coming out in July, but the book wasn't quite, or it wasn't printed yet. I won't say it wasn't ready, but it wasn't quite printed yet. And so I come up with the idea to do what's called a sample book, where I put about four of my poems into a a short, a smaller version of a book, and um, decided to sell them. And so I went to the conference with these sample books and with my stuff for my my table to set up. And when I got there and I started selling, one of the things I noticed is um, people were willing to buy. People were interested in the title. They were interested in the cover art. They were interested in what um, was included. They were interested in finding out my story. Um they were they were interested, 
And my great fear before I went was, well, you know, maybe they won't be interested or maybe I'm going out too early. Maybe I should just wait, but I've already paid for the table, and I'm so glad I actually decided to jump and go. Um, Good for you. The reason being, yes, because the reality is if I wouldn't have gone, I would have missed out on so many great experiences. I would have missed out on so many great lessons. Uh, I would have missed out on meeting different people. I actually met a couple of my favorite writers um, okay. there. Rhonda um, Tate Billingsley was there, and I met her there, and Omar Tyree was there at that particular conference that year, and I'd read his books actually back in middle school. Um, okay. And so all of these things I would have missed out on if I would have let fear keep me from going just yeah. because things weren't perfect. So that was one of the great mm-hmm. lessons I learned from going to that conference last year. Um, it definitely is my intention, if all works out, to be at the conference next year. It's a great experience. I would definitely encourage any author, go. Go. Good book reader turnout. Oh, yes, is there a good book reader turnout? Because some conferences have more writers there than readers. But there was a good no, reader no, no, turnout? No. It's a good reader turnout. And that's actually one of the other things I loved about that particular conference. Because it's geared towards book club readers, the majority of the people who are there um, are not only readers, but they're readers who also have an influence on other people in their areas. Um, because <clears throat> what they do is book clubs, as you will know, they pick books to read as a group. Usually at yeah. the conference, a section of the book club will come to the conference, and that's exactly what they're there for. In addition to listening to the authors who are featured speakers, they're actually there looking for books to buy for their book club. And so if you're okay. an author... It's a great place for you to be because um, you have the ability to immediately influence what these readers are not only reading for themselves, but what they're going to be carrying back to their groups and suggesting be read. Um, One of the things, if you're someone who likes to do your research ahead of time, you may want to find out what are some of the book clubs that tend to go and what are some of their... Ah. um, what are some of the genres that they prefer? Because especially if you're a multi-genre author, you may want to pitch certain books um, over others. But it's definitely a great opportunity for any author. Um, I would definitely suggest um, if you're looking to go, go. If you can't go with your book, definitely go and um, take in information from other authors and just experience it. But if you have a book that's out and you have something you can put out if you have postcards about your upcoming book, just go um, because it can make a very great impact on um, on your sales but also on you as an author and you expanding your horizons and expanding um, your comfort level um, as you learn to market yourself. Because so that was the other thing. I, I put in my seeds learning how to market myself right at that very conference. I've learned so much since okay. then, but that was my first foray into having to market myself as an author. And so it definitely Good expands you. your comfort and zone. Good for you, and I appreciate you sharing that. We are 
really almost out of time. Before we wrap up, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where they can get a copy of Diary of a Young Black Girl or any of your other works? Yes, definitely. Um, you can get a copy of it at Amazon.com. It is available on the Kindle. You can also get a copy of it from AfricanBookstore.net. I mentioned before, if you're looking for a hard copy, if you're in the Miami area, you can get it from me. Um, but you're also able to get it from the bookstore Park Road Books, which is in Charlotte, North Carolina, or My Favorite Books, which is in Tallahassee, Florida. I will also be releasing my second book soon, um, hopefully before the end of the year is out. That book's title will be The Questions in Between. Um, it will also be a book of poetry, so look out for that um, coming soon. And... Um, if you're looking for a writer, if you're looking for an editor or a ghostwriter, you can also check out my Facebook page for Lady L Publishing. Lady L Publishing. Um, it's an opportunity for uh, me to help you tell your story. That's our tagline. Okay. Let us help you. Let us help you tell your stories. We want to thank Laura Mitchell here. What what a pleasure to have her here with us on Off the Shelf this morning. And want to thank her for her time and sharing her talent. And she she even shared tips on some of the the key things to look for in a good poem if you're looking to either read a poem or want to become a more developed poet yourself. And Laura is the author of the book Diary of a Young Black Girl. She's also a blogger. She makes her home in sunny Miami. Florida, and she's been writing since she was a young, young child. And I encourage you to visit Laura Mitchell, L-O-R-A, Laura Mitchell online at D-O-A-Y-B-G dot W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash D-Y-B-G. So we want to thank Laura again, and we want to thank each of you, our listeners, uh, for tuning in and off the shelf this morning. Please go support Laura Mitchell, uh, author again of the Poetry Collection Diary of a Young Black Girl, whether you uh, go to her website or buy a copy of one of her her books. And she says she's got a new book of poetry coming out in a few months. So we look forward to that. Thank you again, Laura, and to our readers, our listeners. Remember, set, your, set it on your calendars. Tell your friends, your colleagues, your family, everybody you know who loves good story in whatever form it comes in, poetry, short story, a novel, a novella, however it comes, do love books, fiction, nonfiction, tell them to put on their calendar that to tune in to Off the Shelf Book Talk Radio every Saturday, just an hour of your time, so much education, inspiration, motivation, insight, tips, and advice shared from, from writers, uh, publicists, editors, book publishers, small business owners with you. Remember, Saturdays, 11 a.m., Eastern Standard Time. Tune in to Off the Shelf. And for today, I encourage you, remember you are awesome. You are incredible. You are amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Laura, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Bye.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.